Hey folks, Corey Kupfer here, and this week we have a solo cast upcoming where I'm going to talk about small businesses and doing deals. So throughout the entire length of this podcast, of the DealQuest podcast, one of the premises has been that, hey, any company of any size, whether they have access to capital or don't, can do some sort of deal. And sure, there are certain deals that are available to bigger companies or funded companies, but that we need to shift the mentality so that smaller businesses understand you can accelerate growth and there is some type of deal you can do no matter what industry, no matter what stage. So this solo cast, I relate back to some of the guests we've had over time that have uh, where you can go back and see some of these specific types of deals around licensing or early stage you know, company deals or things like that, influencer sponsorship deals, affiliate deals, that kind of stuff. But I also specifically take you through some of the questions you want to start thinking of as a small business owner to shift your mentality to say, hey, I can do deals as well. I don't have to grow totally organically. I don't, if I'm struggling to increase sales or I want to grow at a bigger rate or to a different geography or a different industry or expand my offering, there are ways I can do that through different types of deals. And no matter what size I'm at, I can do that. So this is what that solo cast is going to, going to take you through. If you are a smaller business and you want to accelerate your business growth, you want to expand your offerings, you have been maybe a little frustrated about not being able to do it organically. You need to keep doing it organically, but we're also going to show you how to add deal-driven growth to your small business to uh, increase and help you achieve your goals. Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. Hey, folks, Corey Kupfer here, and this is a solo cast where we're going to talk about deals for small businesses. So if you've listened to any of the episodes of this podcast, you listened to the introduction of, to the podcast, or you've been connecting with me in any way, one of the, the fundamental premises of this podcast is that businesses of any size can do some sort of deal. And that's whether you have capital, you don't have capital, and that it's a myth that all the deals are being done by bigger companies, companies that, let's say, can raise venture capital, private equity financing, or companies that can do big mergers and acquisitions made our business uh, in this podcast to show that, yeah, sure, we have guests, we talk about topics because we do a lot of deals at, at that size, bigger M&A, that kind of stuff, but also that there are all kinds of other types of deals that you can do no matter what size your company is or you know, how much capital you have or don't have. So, And we've had some guests over the years, uh, you know, over the last couple of years now, as we're approaching our 100th episode here, you know, that are examples of that. And I'm going to remind you of some of those. Maybe you want to go back and check out those episodes. But I also wanted to do sort of a recap episode where we can talk about and drive home the fact of the types of deals that some t- different types of businesses can do. Let me um, give you some resources from folks we've had on the show already. If you haven't listened to their episodes, some of them were earlier on, back when the uh, the DealQuest podcast was branded as Fueling Deals. And so, you know, we, our listenership keeps growing, you know, over time. So some of you may not have gone back and caught up with some of the older episodes. So way back on episode three, 
we had Ramon Ray, who talked about influencer and sponsorship deals. Now, Ramon has a very nice business, right? But, you know, it's a small business. It's him. He's got a you know, few folks that help him. And really, his model is, is a mini influencer. He's not a huge influencer, but he's, he's got this following. And he's got this key following in terms of folks in the business and entrepreneurial community who some big brands really want to access. So, you know, for some folks, it's not the size of their following. They, they don't have to have millions and millions of followers, but it's the quality of their following. And he talked about how he does these influencer and sponsorship deals where he gets big brands to sponsor his events, his talks, his conferences that he puts on and things like that. So, you know, that's a great thing to take a look at if you have any kind of influence in a particular area, even if you're smaller and even if your following is not huge, but it's targeted, there may be people interested in that who you can partner with, whether it's on a a sponsorship deal like he does or some sort of joint venture or strategic alliance. Episode seven, we had John Bly. John's a guy who did deals. He's an accountant. He's actually subsequent to the episode, did a deal where he sold his firm and merged in with a bigger firm. But what we talked about back on his episode are the deals that he did to acquire other firms. And you may think, oh, well, he's doing acquisitions. He's a big firm. No, he did his first deal, if I remember right, within a year. And in fact, he did several deals within a year or 18 months of starting up. And he did many of those deals without any significant capital where he was able to attract folks in in exchange for you know becoming partners or for cash that was not significant and paid over time. So that's you know a smaller type of acquisition deal. And then of course he built up and did bigger and bigger deals over time. And then eventually did his his exit deal, although he's still involved with the merge firm. So he didn't exit totally, but he, you know, he sold or combined his firm. So that was episode seven, John Bly. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com assessment. That's coreycupfer.com assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. Then we had Julia Pimsler on episode 34. And the great thing about Julia's story, I mean, she works to help build businesses that have a million dollars in revenue and above these days. She tells a great story about how when she first started Little Pim, young folks, uh, you know, children's learning company, how she did a deal like very early on when they were tiny with PBS to become their language learning resource and how she leveraged that. That was a deal that she created out of nothing very early when she was tiny. So check out episode 34 if you want to see about that. Episode 41, we had Ralph Peterson on and uh, and uh, part of Ralph's episode turned into sort of a brainstorming on how he could grow his business, which uh, you know was again successful with small him and he has since done that. And, you know, so just if you want to get in a brainstorming mode of working with somebody, uh, he provides management training and oversight and services, mainly for long-term care facilities and other facilities in the health and related for managers for who you know, run janitorial and other services within those industries. And we brainstorm on some of the deal kind of deals he could do. It's an interesting episode, episode 41. Episode 42, we had Gary Kane talking about low and middle market M&A deals. Episode 43, Bill Cates licensing. And that's an area I want to talk about. I always say it's so underutilized. And, you know, he's a speaker, right? So he doesn't have some huge enterprise, 
But what he's been able to do is take his intellectual property, which if you are a speaker, a writer, a trainer, anybody who creates any kind of content and articles, uh, you know, certainly books, do videos, do uh, workshops, whether that's online or whatever, you have intellectual property you've created. And so many speakers or entrepreneurs just try to do that on a fee-for-service basis or maybe sell it as opposed to license it. And Bill's done an amazing job in licensing his content and getting paid every year over and over again for that content, which he creates once and then he updates. And licensing is a big opportunity that uh, small firms, uh, businesses, and speakers and people like that don't take advantage of, episode 43. And then more recently, we had Jesse Cole on episode 75. And what I love about Jesse is he owns a team, uh, a baseball team called the Savannah Bananas, and they are not triple A or double A or single A. They're the lowest level of, of baseball league out there. And a lot of the, those kind of franchises, you know, who play in these small stadiums struggle to fill uh, the stadiums. He's done an amazing job. And his whole thing is to stand out. He walks around in a yellow tuxedo and top hat, and he's found ways to really promote and stand out. And he talks about some of the really cool kind of partnerships, strategic partnerships and deals that he's done to leverage what is a small business in the baseball industry at the lowest level to be unbelievably successful and be sold out for years. And if you follow his more recent stuff, they've certainly pivoted during COVID to, you know, to go and create some more online and subscription and followings. So that's episode 75, Jesse Cole. And those are just some of the episodes where we've touched on some of the things that small businesses can do. So here's some fundamental questions I want you to ask yourself. If you're running a smaller to medium-sized business, have not thought about doing deals before, maybe you know don't have huge capital or not interested in doing big, you know, acquiring other companies, you don't need to, or you don't think you're a candidate, which if you're smaller, you're probably not to raise significant capital. You're not the type of business that's going to do that. But you know, you want to increase your growth rate and you want to not only growth for growth sake, but for strategic reasons, you know, to be able to provide a broader range of products and services for your clients, maybe to have your business become less dependent upon you. That's a big thing we talk about in terms of preparing yourself to for growth and eventual exit. The first question I often ask folks is they may be spending a lot of time trying to grow their sales and trying to figure out ways to get more clients. And whether that's, you know, through networking, through advertising, through any kind of method to um, referrals, right? You know, marketing programs online or offline, uh, any way to get organic growth, additional sales, many companies are uh, either struggling or they might be doing okay, but they want to increase the rate of customer and client development. And what they don't think of is, well, how can I do that inorganically through deal-driven growth? So one of the first questions I always say to them is, listen, who is the market you're trying to get to? Okay, well, I'm trying to increase my penetration in this particular area, which we're in already. Or I'm trying to go into this new market for my product and services. Like we're really strong here, but we think it can apply in this other vertical, this other industry group, this other geography, but we're having trouble breaking in there. Okay. Well, I always ask them a simple question, which it's amazing how often they haven't really thought of. And I say, who already has access to that market? Now, obviously you may have a direct competitor that has access to that market, which who you may not want to do a deal with. Although, and we have had some examples of uh, on the show. I mean, I don't have it handy. Damon Gersh's episode, uh, I forget which number it is, look up Damon Gersh. We talked about an industry association that he created with you know, s- supposedly competitive firms where they work together to increase the pie for all of them. So don't rule out even doing a deal with your competitors, especially if they're in a different geography or different, let's say, size in the market. Maybe they're more level upscale than you are, uh, bigger deals, and they want to you know, have access uh, or referral opportunities for smaller and vice versa. But let's take that off the table for even for a moment. 
Who else has access to that client base? Who is selling complementary related or, you know, or related services or products to the same market? Or maybe they're actually even selling totally unrelated services and products, but it is the same demographic, the same target market. Certainly for those companies that are selling complementary or related products or services, it really can make sense to do one of many types of deals with them. Maybe you know they have the access and distribution, so you cut a deal with them where they become your distributor or your marketing partner. Or maybe you do a joint venture, a strategic alliance in which you work together and share the profits you know, on that, right? So those distributor, joint venture, you can structure these things in a number of ways. You could be a fee-for-service, you can give them a piece of everything they bring in, or you could actually create a joint venture together in which you know there's joint ownership and you profit from that market. They bring the contacts, they bring the access, they bring the distribution, they bring the um, maybe the sales force that has penetration in that market, in that geography. And what you bring is the new product or service that they can benefit from because they're going to participate in a portion of the sales. Yes, do you have to give up a piece of the action? But so many companies underestimate the client or customer acquisition cost to build a new market, to build a new area, whether it's geography or industry line or even just additional customers. And you know, there's a cost of client acquisition, cost of customer acquisition to get new clients organically on your own. And very many companies underestimate that. So if you take that money that it costs you to acquire a customer and pay it to someone else who has the customer already, and sometimes it even makes sense to pay more than you would pay to get it organically, because remember, you're gonna get that customer in your pipeline, in your database, and depending upon how your deal is structured with the partner, they may or may not participate at all or you know, forever. It might be a limited time. It might be only on the first sale. It might be uh, declining over time. But at some point, you're getting a customer into your ecosystem where you can upsell and cross-sell them your other services and products in a way where you're probably not sharing as much, if at any, of that revenue with the partner. But they've given you the access to that client. And by the way, maybe it could be a mutual deal. Maybe your client base needs what they're selling and you can become a rep, distributor, joint venture, partner, strategic alliance of that company. So the first question I always ask folks is, who else has access to the market you want to get into and what kind of deal might we be able to do with them to uh, benefit both companies? Frankly, if companies ask that, if small businesses ask that question and then pursue those opportunities, more often, so many of them would accelerate their growth opportunities as opposed to spending so much time trying to acquire customers on their own, which by the way, you need to do as well. This is not a substitute. This is an addition to. Okay. So that's one big piece. I mentioned licensing with Gary Bill Cates on episode 43. Licensing is another area. It's such a lucrative area. You know, we talked with, uh, you know, David Bach, uh, who um, wrote many books, including the, we talked about the Lottie Factor on his episode, but, you know, Automatic uh, Millionaire, he has all the finished rich stuff and a um, good friend of mine, good client. We've done a number of deals for him. Well, part of his model is licensing. He talked about that as well. You know, there's so many opportunities of if you've uniquely created something to create a situation with your clients as opposed to getting fee for service. You know, so for example, if you come in and tr do training or you come in and do are a speaker or you, let's say, have an online course learning model that, you know, people pay you per user or something like that. There may be additional opportunities to license that content to clients as opposed to just having them pay you for your time or pay, you know, per use, you know, et cetera. And, so, and so with some folks, there's a, an additional sort of train the trainer model, right? You license the content to them and then you get also get paid to train internal people to deliver that content. 
but you still control it because they cannot use that content unless they continue to pay the licensing fee. So, you know, that's a great model of, you know, being able to leverage the intellectual property you've created in a way where you don't have to get, just get paid for your time delivering it over and over again. And that's something, you know, that if you have any kind of IP and more people do than they realize, you really want to start thinking about. The other thing I would think about it also is who is it? Let's say you have a real small business and you're focused in a particular geography, right? You've seen this where companies got, have gotten together, like, you know, on the main street and gone into joint marketing arrangements, right? If you promote that geography, and I listen, we're still in the time of COVID and uh, fewer people are going out. So this may be something that is um, less or maybe more important, right? You know, and as, but listen, we will come out of this uh, and, you know, you want to be prepared to do that. And maybe this is a time to get together an association of, let's say you're a retailer, you know, in a particular geographic area to build the infrastructure and the arrangements amongst all the retailers in that area to get a, a joint marketing campaign together that maybe you launch now, maybe you wait till things open up a little more, but, you know, use this downtime to do that. And get alignment. I mean, some cities have done this more formally with business improvement districts where people contribute in, but there are places where, you know, they, they just get together. They, maybe they do it through the Chambers of Commerce or they have just some, you know, Main Street Association where they get together and people pay some sort of dues or they pay into it. And then, you know, they do marketing that markets the area because the more people you pull in and then, you know, I've seen places that do this really effectively where they actively recommend each other. Somebody comes into their store to buy X and, they, and they'll say, hey, why don't you go down the street and take a look at it? You may like this stuff there as well, right? So that could be informal or formal, but it's amazing how often us entrepreneurs think we have to lone wolf it when collaborating makes such a huge difference you know, in those situations. And you know, going back to the conversation of competitors, I've seen this happen where, you know, so like in, uh, in Manhattan, in New York, there's this, you know, area used to be, it's changed a lot uh, these days. It used to be like in on the Bowery and some of these other areas, there were sort of two industries that were very, very heavy and they had shops next door to each other. One was in terms of the lighting industry, right? All kinds of bulbs, lights, lamps, whatever. And the other was in the restaurant supply industry. And you would have up and down, you know, one, several streets, you might have 15 companies that do the same thing. Now, you would think that's a horrible thing. I mean, wow, you got all these competitors next to you? Well, yes, you need to compete with them once you get the people there. But what happens is when you have a concentration, you know, a lighting district, a restaurant, supply district, whatever it is, you can work together to draw more folks there. If you basically become the go-to geography for a particular industry, then what happens is you, what you're saying is, hey, listen, let's work together maybe to create this brand so that people don't go to all the other lighting or restaurant supply or whatever it is, choices that are located elsewhere. And then when they get here, sure, we'll compete for the business. But the truth is, if you work together, not in a way that's obviously in violation of any kind of antitrust laws, but you're allowed to market a district. And basically what you've done is you've drawn a big part of the market who might, you know, go to sort of disparate locations for other people and they've all come to this area, then the pie is so much bigger. So even though you're competing for that pie, once they get there, you'll get your share of that pie. And that's going to be bigger than if you try to promote on your own, because the draw to the lighting district for example, is so strong that you get so many more people interested. So even if that's going to be divided up between 8, 10, 12, or 15 companies, you're going to do better because of the volume of folks that have come because they've been drawn to the opportunity to have choices, to go to make, be, have it be efficient, go to one place and see eight different businesses that you know have different offerings. 
or different pricing or whatever it is. So, you know, get past this thing about this automatic thinking that you cannot work together with your quote unquote competitors. Sometimes it really, really makes sense. The other thing, you know, that I've talked about a lot on this podcast, but, you know, it's been dispersed is, well, what does it take to become a deal maker? And for small businesses, a lot of times it is that miss, what is missing is that shift in mentality. It's that assumption that you're not big enough to do deals. So a lot of what I've been talking about now, right, even these conversations of saying, hey, who asked the question, who has access to my markets? Can I cooperate with my competitors? You know, is there a way I can join together and, and forces? Just that shift in mentality, asking those right questions, being open to those possibilities really gets the juices flowing and shifts what you can do. You know, here's another thing right now, right? So we're in a position now where there's this, I've talked about this a little bit before, where there's this really weird dichotomy in the economy. Some folks are doing super well despite COVID or maybe even because of it, and some folks aren't. Well, you know, there's opportunities there, right? People who are doing well, well, those are industries for you to focus on as a small business. How can you tap in and align? Maybe you have a product that can, you know, sort of ride those coattails. And the company that is doing well, you know, wants to use this uh, time where they're doing well and they have more money coming in and that kind of stuff to even expand further and grow more market share. So that's a possibility. The other thing that happens is, you know, in industries that are not doing well, there is some good talent that might be available because unfortunately the industry that they were in is challenged and people have been laid off or cut back or things like that. So you might be able to do a deal with talent that you wouldn't otherwise be able to get. And listen, maybe you can get them less expensively because you know they've lost this other opportunity. My challenge with that always is that when the market comes back, they're going to leave you if you've been in less than they're worth in a better market. Maybe you can get more creative, though, on the kind of deals you can do with them, right? So maybe in addition to some base comp, you're going to give them a piece of the action in a way where when things grow, they're going to really get a much bigger piece of the pie and be able to make more money. Maybe there is some sort of equity in your company or phantom equity or some other attraction or retention vehicle, and we can do a whole podcast on those. And I have talked about some of them in the past, you know, where you can give them ownership or a feeling of ownership, or at least a, a contractual right to participate if, if they were an owner, which they would not get at that other company that they were previously at. So you can get them in initially with less uh, money up front. So there's opportunities for those kind of talent deals right now. Yeah. So listen, if you are a smaller business, let's go through a few steps. Number one, Change your mindset so that you say, hey, I can do deals. I can be a deal maker. And the question is not whether, the question is what types of deals would work for me. Okay. Then look at your business goals, whether it's, you know, growth in a geography, growth in a sector, adding talent, expanding the product line and say, okay, who can I partner with to help achieve those objectives? Who is out there? Don't eliminate competitors as a possibility. And then we can get to, you know, the, all the ways you can structure those deals. But really, I say, don't worry about initially whether it's a joint venture or a strategic alliance or joint marketing arrangement or a, you know, business partnership or whatever. Figure out what the business objectives you each want and then come to a, somebody who really knows how to structure these deals like us, you know, or, you know, another attorney or a, or a consultant or advisor out there who really understands deal structures. And they'll help you put together the right deal structure for the business deal you want to create. The main thing you focus on up front is, hey, what objectives are you trying to achieve with the other company that you're doing a deal with? What are their responsibilities going to be? What are your responsibilities going to be? And what is the economic arrangement that you want to have amongst you? If you get those fundamental things in place, 
after asking some questions, you know, more specifics, somebody like, you know, me can help you figure out how to structure that. But the first thing is to shift that mentality and be open to it and look for those opportunities and ask those kind of questions. So if you're a small business, it's time to start thinking about doing deals. If you want to increase your rate of growth, if you want to be able to provide a broader range of products and services to clients, if you want to use this opportunity to you know, expand and have your company be less dependent upon you, let's start thinking about doing deals. All right, folks, I hope this was useful to you. We will be back next week you know, with a guest interview and then look out for the next solo cast in, in a few weeks. Corey Kupfer here. All the best. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.